Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we desire to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson continues his series titled Real with part seven, Real Hope. Real hope revolves around the reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This hope should propel us to live out our greatest calling and participate in the greatest adventure. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. Uh, we're continuing this series entitled Real, where we're just we're looking at a real church in Corinth that has some real issues, some real problems, uh, have asked some real questions, and trying to make some application. And this morning, I want to talk about real hope. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. And in that chapter, Paul's talking about the resurrection. So it may sound kind of funny. Why am I going to talk about the resurrection? It's not Easter. You're only supposed to talk about that at Easter. Well, really, as believers, you know, Resurrection Sunday should be every week. Uh, but my prayer for this, one, is that it's just a reminder. But uh, even more than that, that it will be an encouragement. Because Paul says some interesting things here. So I pray that this will be an encouragement for us as we talk about real hope. The key passage is verse, 15, is verse 19, where Paul says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Now, we know one of our greatest tenets is that we have hope in Jesus Christ, and we know that this hope rests in both the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's through the death of Christ that we are made new, that we are brought into right relationship with Christ, that we are made holy and sanctified, but it's through the resurrection that he proves and applies his power over death and over sin in our life. So it's one of these great tenets of, of hope. But really the reality is, apart from Christ, there is no real hope. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. 1 Peter 1.3, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So apart from the resurrection, there is no real hope. That's why Paul says in verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. This word hope, really means an expectancy. It means an attitude of confidently looking toward the future for good and for our benefit. This word pitied means to be miserable. Really what Paul's saying here is if all we have to look forward to is this life, that's the ultimate bummer. It's the ultimate waste of time. And he gets really personal down in verse 30. He says, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? There's no resurrection. Verse 32, he said, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? I mean, what a complete waste of time all this work has been. He finishes verse 32 by saying, if the dead are not raised, then let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, if there's nothing but this world and this life, we have no real hope. So let's just live it up. Let's just party on. Let's just have a good time until we cease to exist. That's what Paul's saying here. Now remember, I mentioned this last week, that the Corinthians have written a letter or had written a letter to Paul asking a bunch of questions. So part of this last part of Corinthians, Paul's responding to some of those questions. So evidently, they've asked some questions about the resurrection and 
And is there a resurrection? Probably because there have been some teachers and some people there saying there's not a resurrection. There's no such thing as a resurrection. So they're really confused and they're doubting that. We do know that there was one Jewish uh, leadership group called the Sadducees that did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And that's why they were sad, you see. That's an old joke. I'm just being sure you're still with me. Today, though, there's still some um, differing views on the afterlife. There are some that believe that all we have is this life and this world, that there is no afterlife, so when we die, we cease to exist. There are some who really don't believe in an afterlife, but they, they believe our energy stays. Our energy never dies. So when we, when we die, our energy kind of disperses into the earth or the atmosphere or the universe, something there are those that advocate a perpetual reincarnation where we continue to come back and back and back until hopefully we get good enough that we can reach nirvana or moksha or something and, and have a sense of an afterlife. There are also those that, that would say there is an afterlife. They would call it heaven, but they just say everybody's going there. You know, it, when you die, everybody just kind of goes to heaven. But there's a big difference in the afterlife and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those are two different things. It's interesting, uh, if you do any study, you'll notice that there are uh, most of the scholars, the historians from the first century on through, not just Christian scholars and historians, but the Jews, the Greeks, the Romans, most of these historians agree on four things when it comes to Jesus Christ. They all agree on these four things that he lived, that he existed, he really did walk on earth, that he died specifically on a cross, that's historically documented just like we document births and deaths today, that he was buried in Joseph's tomb and that the tomb was empty. Notable historians do not disagree on any of those things. The only point of disagreement and conflict and discussion and problem is how and why the tomb was empty. If you think about it, there's only three options. The first one is he just left. He got up and left. So you have this man who's been scourged and beaten, hung on a cross, stabbed in the side, water coming out, taken down, wrapped in like a mummy cloth, put in a tomb, a, rock, a, a stone put there, and a, a series of guards guarding there. All of a sudden, he just came to. He woke up. He revived. He resuscitated. He was able to take his mummy clothes off and push down this big stone and then take out a guard. Seems ridiculous to me. The other option is somebody took the body. And most of them say that the disciples are the ones that stole the body, which when you think about that doesn't make sense because one, they're afraid at that time that they're gonna be killed in the same way. And all of them, most of them are killed, most of them in a very severe way, claiming that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. So if they had stolen the body and knew it was a lie and they knew that they were deluding, they would not have died for faith in Jesus Christ because they knew it was a lie that he didn't really rise from the dead. So that seems a little far-fetched to me too. The only third option is he really did raise from the dead. That's the most logical. It's not just a faith stance. It's the most logical application. But back to 1 Corinthians. Since there was a question about the resurrection, Paul in chapter 15 answers those questions. So he deals with the resurrection of Jesus. He deals with the resurrection of the dead. And he deals with the resurrection body. Now, he doesn't try to prove scientifically any of this. He just states it as a fact. Verse 4, he says, he was buried, 
and he was raised on the third day according to scripture. Verse eight, he says, he appeared to me. And we know that's why he's apostle because Jesus Christ appeared to him on the road of his conversion. Verse 20, he says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And in verse 22, so in Christ, all will be made alive. Here's his point. Here's the point he's driving to. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is real. And because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real, our resurrection is real as well. Therefore, we have real hope. Now, the way Paul addresses chapter 15 is he comes from a negative standpoint. He approaches it as if there is no resurrection. And he makes this argument. Okay, if there's no resurrection, here's a bunch of stuff that results because of that. I want to flip that this morning and, and come to it from a positive standpoint. Because the resurrection is real. And we're just going to state that this morning. So because of that, because the resurrection is real, not only do we have real hope, but there are seven things that I want to mention briefly as we get to our main point here in just a moment, of what we have, seven realities, because the resurrection really is real. Here's the first one. It's in verse 14. Our preaching is useful. Now, Paul states it in the negative. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. That word useless means empty or empty-handed. Here'd be a word picture for you. Let's say I approach a young child with my hand closed and I approach the child and say, I have something really special for you. I have the greatest gift that I could ever give you. This is so valuable. This is so important. You're going to love this. And I build this up with this great thing in my hand. And now this child's getting all of excited. And I said, I want to give you this very special gift. And I open my hand and there's nothing in it. It's empty. That's that word that he's talking about. It's useless. All this excitement and this anticipation is just done because there's, it's empty. There's nothing there. What Paul is saying is if there's no resurrection, everything that we're proclaiming, everything that we're preaching about Jesus Christ is empty. We're promising people eternal life. We're promising people abundant life. We're promising people hope and a future and et cetera. But when we open the hand, there's nothing there because he didn't rise from the dead. But I'm flipping it because the resurrection is real. So what that means is our preaching is useful. So when we proclaim to people Jesus Christ, that he offers us eternal life and abundant life, we open our hand, he really does offer us <laughs> eternal life and abundant life. And that word preaching does not mean what I'm doing right now. It means to proclaim. It simply means to tell people about Christ. Every one of us who know Christ are preachers. We should be preachers because we should be proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. So what it's saying is when, we, when you go out into your world and your sphere of influence and you're telling people about Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel with people that need to hear, that is useful, that is powerful, that is effective because the resurrection is real and what we're offering people in Christ is real. Here's a second reality. It's in verse 17. Our faith is worthwhile. Again, Paul says the negative. If Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile. That means worthless. It's a waste of time. If we're putting our faith in someone that's going to give us eternal life, we are wasting our time if Christ has not risen from the dead. But the resurrection is real, so it's not worthless. It's worthwhile. He continues there in that same verse with the third reality, and we are set free from our sins. He says, if Christ has not been raised, 
you're still in your sins. But because the resurrection is real, we're not in our sins any longer. That's the great news of coming into Christ because of the resurrection, the power over sin and death. It means he's taken our sin and he's thrown it as far as the east is from the west. He's dropped it into the depths of the ocean. He has broken our chains. He has removed our stain. He has paid our debt in full. We are no longer in our sin. Here's the fourth one though, verse 24. And this is the truth that we win. It's the good news. Paul said it this way, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to, the God, to, to God the Father after he had destroyed all dominion, all authority, and all power. As we know, we have an enemy, the Satan. There is this evil empire that we are going against that is opposing Jesus Christ. But it tells us at the end, Christ will finally and ultimately defeat the enemy and cast him in the pit. We win. It's because of the resurrection. The fifth one is ministry is worth it. In verse 30, we, we read it just a moment ago. This is Paul where he's being a little personal. And he's really telling us that ministry is worth it. Of course, he's coming from the negative. Verse 30, as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? Verse 31, I die every day. Verse 32, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? Here's what Paul's saying. I am wearing myself out. I am killing myself. I am dying every day. I'm facing all kinds of tribulation and persecution and struggles and arguments and conflicts and fights because I'm fighting for something that I think is real. But if it's not real, if there's no resurrection, why am I doing all this? I'm just killing myself for no reason. And here's the point for us in application. Ministry is hard. And I'm not talking about a vocational pastor minister, okay? I get paid to do ministry, not really. We're, we're, I'm not talking about vocation. I'm talking about all of us in Christ. Every one of us, not only are we all preachers, but every one of us are ministers. Every one of us are to be out doing the ministry and doing the work of Christ. But ministry is hard. Ministry requires sacrifice. And if the resurrection is not real, why in the world are we doing it? But the resurrection is real, which is the point Paul is making. So it tells us that ministry is worthwhile. The sacrifice that it takes of our time and our energy and our effort is worthwhile because that sacrifice is redeemable. That sacrifice is profitable. That sacrifice is going to pay dividends. Number six, reality. In verse 42 tells us that newness is a reality. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. Everything is going to be made new. We're made new. We have a new name. We have a new spirit. We're going to be given a new body. We're going to wear new clothes. We're going to have a new home prepared just for us. We're going to have a, live in a new heaven and a new earth. Everything is going to be new because of the resurrection.
And here's the seventh reality. Verse 57 tells us that victory is imminent. Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As he says the verses before, oh death, where is your sting? Sin, where is the victory? What he's saying is because the resurrection is real, we have real hope and victory is imminent. So here's seven realities because of the resurrection. Our preaching is useful, faith is worthwhile, we're set free from our sins, we win, ministry is worth it, newness is a reality, and victory is imminent. Now Paul, what he's doing now, he takes all of this and he drives to verse 58 and he culminates and he climaxes all of this in verse 58 and he says, therefore. In other words, what he's saying, everything I've said to this point is bringing me to this verse. There's a reason he went through all of this explanation about the resurrection to prove and to state that it is real. It's verse 58. He says, therefore, because the resurrection is real, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He gives us two exhortations he says, because the resurrection is real, here are two things that you need to apply to your life and know and live out. And the first one is to stand firm. Stand firm. That word stand means actually here to, to come into existence, to actually happen. And firm means to settle it, to settle the matter, to be steadfast. Really what he's saying here is because it's real, you need to stand firm. You need to settle it in your heart and your mind once and for all that the resurrection is real. Don't be swayed. You need to settle in your heart that I'm really going to be resurrected because Jesus Christ really was resurrected. He adds to that when he says, let nothing move you. In other words, settle it and don't let anything move you from that. Be completely immovable in your belief and your trust in the resurrection of Christ and that we're going to be resurrected. Don't let any teachers, don't let the false teachers, don't let the, the world system, don't let logic, don't let anything cause you to begin to doubt that. Don't let your emotions and your feelings, how you're feeling that day, cause you to doubt that. Don't yet let your life circumstances at certain times when things aren't going the way you think they should be going to doubt the fact that the resurrection is real. Don't let the enemy slip in and begin to put those thoughts and those doubts in your mind and your spirit. Stand firm. It's real. Believe it, know it, walk in it, and trust in it. That pushes him to this second encouragement which really, in my opinion, is the culmination of what he's trying to say to us. And that is to give yourself fully to the Lord. Because this thing is real, give yourself fully to the Lord. That word fully means excessive. Be extravagant. Give an exceeding amount. Really what he's trying to say is because the resurrection is real, man, completely sell out to Jesus Christ. Go all in. Go all out. Why? He tells us in verse 58, because it's not in vain. Selling out for Jesus Christ is not in vain. Here's, here's the truth of today. Living for yourself 
is in vain. Because there's no eternal gain to that. Living for pleasure is in vain. Because there's no eternal gain. Living for material possessions and material stuff is in vain. Because there's no eternal gain. Living for fame and recognition and renown is in vain. Because there's no eternal gain. The only thing that has eternal gain is living for Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that is not in vain. It's the only thing that offers an eternal gain. Living for Christ is our greatest calling. It's our greatest opportunity. It's our greatest privilege. It's our greatest adventure. It's our greatest reward, not just for us, but for everybody that we come in contact and we share the message in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest. It's the only thing in life that is not in vain as we commit our greatest calling to following Jesus Christ. Why? Because the resurrection is real. And that's what Paul wants to communicate. That gives us real hope regardless of what present circumstances at times tell us. Now, this is how Paul communicates it. Now I want to share it my way. I want to say it again, but through a story, hopefully to make it, I don't know, penetrate you a little bit more deeply. Same thing of how this speaks to me, encourages me. I apologize in advance because it's another basketball story. I'm sorry, I shared one last week. So forgive me, but um, I think it applies. My senior year, I, we had a new head coach. Actually, I had a different head coach all three years, but this senior year, the head coach came from Eastern New Mexico State University. I don't know why he left college and came to high school, uh, but because he was from New Mexico, he had ties to all the schools in New Mexico. So that year, he put on our schedule to play Clovis High School twice that year. Now, Clovis High School in men's basketball was kind of a, uh, an ongoing, dominant, winning team. But that particular year, they were unbeatable. They were unstoppable. They ended up winning the 4A state championship in New Mexico. They were, won every game by 15, 20, 25 points. Nobody could even come close to them. They had a player named Bubba Jennings. That some of you may have heard that name. He was the all-time leading scorer in the state of New Mexico. He had the record for the most points scored in one game, 75 points in one game. It wasn't against us, thankfully. But he ended up going to Texas Tech, played for Texas Tech. His junior year became Southwest Conference Player of the Year. He was drafted in the fourth round by Dallas Mavericks. He never actually played, but he was, he was drafted. They also had a big post guy that went to D1 school as well. They were dominant. They were unbeatable. They were a run-and-gun team, and we had to play them twice that year. So our coach, the first time's in their gym, the coach says, okay, because they were a run-and-gun team, we're going to play a slow-down offense. We're going to play deliberate. We're going to slow it down and try to work the ball. So that's what we did. At halftime, we're actually in the game. Midway through the fourth quarter, we're only down four points. So we're feeling really good about ourselves. Well, to try to catch, we had to foul. Ended up losing by nine points. What was weird, that was the closest game they'd ever had. In fact, their coach came to us and said, man, you guys played a great game. You played us better than anybody else played. So we played our very best game to date, but still lost. Well, a couple weeks later, we had to play them again in our gym. And so now our coach said, 
we can't beat them in a slowdown. We already know that. So we're just going to run with them. So I'm thinking, hey, I'm in for that. So now it's just a run and gun game. So in that game, we actually scored more points in that game than we scored in any game all season. We probably played the best game of the entire season for us. And we lost by 18 points. <laughs> they blew us out of the gym. So here we are, the, the, the two best games we played all season, and we couldn't beat them. Now, suppose that they were our only opponent. And for 30 games, the only team that we're going to play is Clovis. Could you imagine how discouraging and defeating and despondent that would be? Knowing that we have no hope of beating these guys. So every day in practice, we're practicing and working hard and striving, preparing for a game that we know we cannot win. And every game, when we go into the game against this opponent, we're playing a game that we know we cannot win. So every day, it's just this defeatism, despondency, discouragement. Why are we doing this? Clovis, though, they're all up here high-fiving, and they're excited because they know it's the victory before they even start the game. Here's the truth. Spiritually speaking, we have one opponent. He's our enemy, Satan. And we face him and fight him every single day. If there's no resurrection, if the resurrection is not real, we have no hope and we have no power over him. So we know every single day when we wake up, and we have to face this enemy. It doesn't matter how hard we work. It doesn't matter how hard we try. It doesn't matter how much I pray. It doesn't matter how much scripture memory I know. It doesn't matter how often I read the word. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm going to be defeated that I cannot beat this enemy. But if the resurrection is real, and hallelujah, the resurrection is real. So what that means is every single day, I wake up knowing that that enemy is already defeated. We've already won it. I'm already the victor. I'm not the victim. So instead of Satan being the one high-fiving because he's got me defeated, he's the one, regardless of what he does, regardless of how hard he tries, regardless of what temptations he throws my way, regardless of the type of tribulation he tries to bring my way, it doesn't matter what he does. Because of the resurrection, I am the winner. And so every day, I can face every single day with hope and excitement and anticipation and, and future and excitement because I know the enemy's already lost. Because of that, because the resurrection is real, because of what Jesus Christ has done, because of the hope, and that hope is in Jesus Christ. We need to do what Paul says. Give yourself fully to the Lord. Go all in. It's worth it. The dividends are worth it. 
because waiting for us is an eternal home with our creator, our provider, our sustainer, the one true God that we get to spend eternity with because the resurrection is real. My prayer this morning is that we would go all in. Would you bow with me? Thanks for listening. We truly hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org.